0: Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day amen. Thank you, worship team. Amen. That was beautiful. My goodness. If you can't worship in that, you got a stone-cold heart. Just saying, you need to get that right, and today is the day it can happen. Number two, I want to tell you, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this message is for you. If you place your faith in anything outside the amazing glory of Jesus Christ, this message is for you, uh, and it's a scary message for you. If you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he has secured your soul in heaven in Jesus name, then this message is not for you. And you can celebrate what we sang about that Jesus can give you peace no matter what comes to this world. Now, we're looking at the book of Revelation, the book end on the right. You can f- open in your device or in your paper Bible to Revelation chapter 6. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 9, we find an amazing outline for the whole book. He says, I want you to write the things which you have seen, write the things which are, and then write the things metatata, the things which must take place after these things. And so we've been talking about that. Chapter 1 is a picture of the resurrected, glorified Jesus like he had never been seen before. And then chapters two and three is the church age. That's where we live. And then in chapter four, verse one, something interesting happens when we get into the third section of the apocalypse or the revelation. And it is this, that, that Jesus tells John, who is the revelator on the earth, he says, hey, now I want you to come up here and see the things which must take place, meta, tata, the things after the church age. And so it's a picture of this thing called in the church, the rapture. And we've talked about the fact that the rapture, The word rapture is not in the Bible, neither is Bible in the Bible. But just because the word is not there doesn't mean it is not there. And so the word is harpazo, the catching away of the church. When Jesus returns, he doesn't. it's not the second advent, it's not the second coming, he stops in the air and he evacuates the believers both dead and living and they join him in the air to go back to heaven for a season. Now, we, we saw that in chapter 4 verse 1. And then in chapter 5, uh, it is the things which must take place after. So John is invited up into heaven. He sees a door open. He goes up there and when he looks around, he sees heaven. And it ain't some heaven like you see on television or in some of these movies. You know, you used to read these articles. I was in heaven for, for three days. You know, I, I was in heaven, t- seven minutes in heaven, all of that stuff. Yeah, whatever. Okay. That's between you and Jesus. All I'm saying is the thing they describe is nothing like what John sees. When he gets up there, he sees the brilliance of diamonds. He sees the, the brilliance of this stone that looks like a ruby. He sees this this uh, eternal rainbow of emeralds surrounding the throne. He sees twenty four elders, and each of them have a throne. He sees God the Father on the throne. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit are burning in front as seven flames. Then you see Jesus to the right hand of the Father. I mean, this thing is spectacular. It moves him. I mean, it changes the way he looks at things. And then we saw in chapter five that God is holding this scroll and it's the title deed to the world. And he still owns the world. He has temporarily given the evil one authority to a degree upon this planet. He, mankind surrendered it to, to the devil in the garden of beginnings at the fall of Adam and Eve. And so he holds the scroll and it has seven seals. And then this great angel speaks out and proclaims who is worthy to open the scroll. And, and he proclaimed it under the earth and in, even into the world of the dead. He, he proclaimed it to the world globe that we live on. He proclaimed it in heaven to all the angels and none were worthy. And then we saw last week, John, man, he just starts weeping. I mean, he is toe up. He just started just weeping uncontrollably. And then one of the elders says, John, you know, get your composure, dude. He says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, it ain't over yet. And I want you to know it ain't over yet. Okay. Jesus is still on the throne. And you may have a circle or a a situation or a circumstance in your life and you wonder, God, where are you in this thing? He is right on his throne. He's large and in charge and he knows what he's doing. So just let him be God and he will work it all out. Now, the church, the reason we believe the church is gone after chapter four of Revelation is because it has found prominence in society for 2,000 years since the inception of the church. The church has found prominence in all of the New Testament after Acts. The church uh, has found prominence all of chapter two and three of Revelation is about the church, but something happens. Chapter four through the end in chapter 22, there is no church mentioned on this globe. None, not one iota. So the church is somewhere else and that's what we believe. And so that moves us then into chapter six, the church is not on this earth, but something is getting ready to visit this earth. And chapter six is where we begin. The title of today's message is this The Satanic succession, the satanic succession. It is a, a series of successive events that are going to happen, unfold, and be unfurled in this scroll upon this planet. It is a picture, a panoramic view of the wrath and the judgment of God poured out upon the wicked, those who have spurned and rejected Jesus, and, uh, and, and, and all of everyone who is still alive upon this earth. And so that's what this picture is. Now, the point number one, I call the poser of peace. The poser of peace. He's going to be riding a white horse, and he's going to be carrying a bow and wearing a crown. Listen what it says in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, And I looked on when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a thunderous voice, come. So I looked, and here came a white horse. And the one who rode it had a bow, and he was given a crown. And as a conqueror, he rode out to conquer. And so we're introduced today to the, four, the first four seals of the seven-sealed scroll. It's open, the seals are broken by the one and only, there is no substitute, there is no replacement, Jesus Christ. And so he opens up, and he's going to introduce us to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen who have been given the responsibility to cast judgment upon this earth, righteous indignation upon the sinful earth. And so the first one shows up, and he's on a white horse. Now, white in the Bible represents purity and victory. Our, Our robes will be white. Our raiment in heaven will be white. And he's carrying a bow, riding a white horse. Now, when people read the Bible and they get to this point, many people want to believe that it's Jesus because he's on a white horse and he's wearing a crown. But I want to tell you, this is not Jesus that shows up as the first horseman of the apocalypse. This is an imposter, a poser of peace. This is somebody who is a fake. Now, I want to tell you where we're going with this first part, that if you want to understand the counterfeit, you don't investigate the counterfeit. If you work for the, uh, for the U.S. Treasury and you're responsible for finding counterfeit uh, counterfeiters and counterfeit bills, you don't do it by studying counterfeit bills. You do it by studying the real deal. And so if you know everything there is to know about the real deal, immediately when you see a counterfeit, it sticks out. So he's this, this first horseman is riding a white horse. And so... The Bible says that the first horseman is carrying a bow, all right? Now, we're going to compare the imposter, the poser, the counterfeit, to the real deal. And so it begins, it says he's carrying a bow. Now, there's something interesting about this bow. He's carrying no ammunition. There are no arrows in his quiver. There are no arrows mentioned, cocked and loaded in the bow. He comes carrying the bow because he's on a hunt. You see, the bow is introduced in the Bible in Genesis. I think it's chapter 10. Nimrod is a bowman or a bowsman. He is a hunter. He is an ungodly being. He ultimately was responsible for building the Tower of Babel. He, He thinks he can be God himself. He ultimately would be the first leader of Babylon, the ungodly nation that causes Israel all kinds of grief. So he comes with a bow. This is the bow of peace. You see, when you read the book of Revelation, you'll find out that the Antichrist shows up in peace. And he's hunting for something because this represents the hunt. He is a bowman on a hunt. What's he hunting for? He is hunting for people who would come alongside him to help him build his ungodly kingdom that will stand against God. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for allies, And the Bible says that he will find allies. The Bible says in chapter 19 of Revelation that there is a ten-nation confederacy, that ten nations will come alongside the bowman on the white horse, the Antichrist, to be a part of his team. But you see, three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation, he will reveal his real identity. And he is not Jesus, and he is not the Prince of Peace. He is the antithesis, the absolute polar opposite of Jesus, who is ultimately the Prince of Peace. So we find out he's carrying a bow, and he's riding a white horse. Now, a white horse, I will say this. A white horse was, was the victory horse. If you were a commander in the army and you won a great battle, when you paraded through the town, you would be riding a white stallion or a white horse. It painted a picture of victory and conquest. So he's riding a white horse. He's carrying a bow with no arrows. Number three, it says that he had upon him a crown. Now, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I tell you all the time, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, and don't pretend to be. Okay, I want you to know sometimes I throw Greek words out here. It's not to impress you. It's to confirm that what I believe is based on the original language. And I'm going to tell you how you can do it too. In the early service, I don't think anybody wrote it down. So that's good. I can just start making up stuff and you're not going to check me out. But if you've never taken a a class in Greek but you would like to know what some of those words mean, you can go to Gateway Bible, and you can go to the Mounts translation, M-O-U-N-C-E, Mounts. And he has a translation on there that will give it to you in English, and right below it, it gives you the Greek words. And right there on the Greek words, you can click the Greek word, and it will pop up what that means. Often you can hit a little speaker, and it will enunciate it for you okay? So you can check me out. You can check out what we teach, okay? Just by doing that. So if you go to Mounts' translation and you look up Revelation chapter 6 and you get to this English word crown and you look it up in Greek, you'll find out that the word is Stephanos. Stephanos. Now the Stephanos crown is a crown that's not a sovereign crown. It's not a ruler's crown. It's not a king's crown. It is a victory crown. It is a woven vine that you would receive if you won a race in the Greek Olympics. It is a victory crown only, not a, not a sovereign crown. So here's this poser of peace, bow with no arrows, claiming peace, hunting for allies to be on his team, wearing a Stephanus crown, and riding a white horse. Now, how can we know who this is? How do we know for sure this is not Jesus? Let's look at the real deal. Revelation chapter 19, you can turn there, you don't have to. Beginning in verse 11, this is the real deal, that you stand beside The counterfeit bill. It says, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Another white horse. And he says, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Remember that in Revelation chapter 1. And it says his head, on his head, were many crowns. Mount's Dictionary will tell you this crown is a diadema. The diadema is a crown for the sovereign, a crown for the ruler, a crown for the king. It's not a woven vine. This is a crown pointing to the reality that he is the one over it all. And it says then, he says, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, this is good because this includes some of us. This is the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean followed him on white horses, the born again, the redeemed, those who are harpazo taken away at chapter 4, verse 1, beginning after, after the church age is over. We come back with him when he comes to conquer. He's riding a white horse. He's wearing a robe dipped in blood. We're wearing white, washed, clean robes, White riding white stallions. And I don't care to tell you, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I love that stuff. It reminds me, we've lost our sense of adventure, man. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, I have three brothers and we played in the backyard of a lady up the street. Her name was Miss Cothran. And in the back of Miss Cothran's yard, she had Cothran's Hill. That's what it was called. We stole Miss Cothran's, I'm confessing, we stole Miss Cothran's uh, water hose, tied it to a tree and we repelled down Miss Cothran's Hill. It was enormous. It was clay. It was amazing, man. We would, we, there was a bobcat that lived in her barbecue pit in the backyard we played cowboys and Indians. we played army men we played big time we were fighting to survive in this wonderful land of adventure called miss cothran's hill my brother and i when we got in college we had moved we said hey let's go up and see miss cothran's hill we walked up through there we're like they must have done excavation or something but it's hard to figure out there's the house there's the barbecue pit with the bobcat in it he's no longer there we go over to the hill, and the hill was about eight feet long, shaped, sloped about like that. You see, in the, in the eyes of a small child, you know, we were in adventure land. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, born again believers. Listen to me, people redeemed in the blood of Jesus, as a Christian bought and paid for with the sacrificial blood of Jesus, you are supposed to be on an adventure called a journey with Jesus. And it doesn't start when we return on a white stallion behind our king and leader, Jesus. It's supposed to start the moment Jesus comes and rescues your soul. So I'm here to tell you, and you don't have to come back. If you're born again, start acting like the king of the universe has saved you. And in heaven right now, he has your name in a book and he calls you his very own i'm sorry i'm the preacher i get excited now now so this is the first one now i, I didn't even finish this passage okay let's keep reading i'm gonna read it like some of y'all look this morning and the armies in heaven clothed in white linen and white and clean they followed him on white horses and now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? I can't even do that. It hurts my soul. Okay? So, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And listen to this. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Listen. And he has on his robe and on his the name that is written. This is how you know he's not the fake. I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And whether you want to embrace that, whether you want to make him your King and your Lord is up to you, but he is, and has already been declared the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I just want to tell you, beware of posers of peace. Okay. Number two, I want you to notice now, after this season of peace, when the, when the poser of peace shows up, and man, he's got the answers, the solutions. He's going to love Israel. He's going to love uh, Islam. He's going to love them all, all right? We're going to come together, and we're going to have peace. Then something happens, and the next horseman shows up. Number two is the henchman of hatred, the henchman of hatred. Now, we're going to see that he's riding a red horse, and he's carrying a sword, A sword and red both represent war and bloodshed. Listen what it says in verse 3. It says, then when the lamb opened the second seal, this is Jesus the lamb. He's unrolling the the scroll. He says, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another horse, fiery red, came out. And the one who rode it was granted permission. He was granted permission to take peace from the earth so that people would butcher, what a word, butcher one another, and he was given a huge sword. Number two, riding red, number two, carrying a sword, comes to butcher each other and take away the peace that's upon this earth. We live in a world where we see a, de- a degree of peacelessness. We see a degree of butchering one another, but it doesn't hold a candle to what, God is going to grant permission for the henchmen of hatred to administer upon this globe. Now under this, and don't be alarmed, okay? Don't be alarmed. This is one of the things that we're terrified of. We should be. It's 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 a terrible, it's a terribly damaging weapon. This is an AR-15. Okay, this is semi-automatic, doesn't have any bullets in it. Trust me, we have security guards here, trained police officers. They told me, you try anything funny, I hate to, but I take you out. Okay, so you're protected. Okay? Now there's no there's no uh um, Shells in there, no bullets in we're, we're They don't go here. They go here, so it shows, shows how much I know. I put, don't, don't make me pull this trigger, okay? Now, I want you to know, I want you to know, we're, we're mortified of these things, and they do a lot of damage. They find their place in the political world. You see them on the news, people talking about how they get their hands on this. This is a great weapon, okay? But compared to what we're getting ready to see, this is like a rudy tooty, point, and shooty. That's what this is compared to the weapons we're going to see that, that somebody, the henchman of hatred, is going to be able to unfurl upon this earth. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Okay, I want you to go back in time with me a while to the, the beginning of World War II. There was a man, his name was Adolf Hitler, and he graduated high school, he had issues, he couldn't make it into the military, finally found his place in the military, did a few things, that had a few successes in the military. Ultimately, he would come out, and because the country was hurting so bad, uh, i won't put this over here so you don't have to look through a weapon to see me, okay? And so what happened was he uh, he, he began to... Followed this thing called the Aryan race, a supremacy group, and he found prominence and he found a following kind of like the henchmen of hatred. Ultimately, he would administer uh, hatred to the jews and and he would murder millions of them in concentration camps. He would begin to uh, attack the world okay it wasn't that 's not what we 're talking about. He had nothing compared to what this world is going to see now I just want we don 't like talking about it, but I just want to tell you what this world has. In store when it comes to war. War War's not a new thing. Starting a fight and not being able to stop it is not a new thing. Began in Genesis, okay? And if if you do your research, the Norwegian Academy of Science will tell you this since 3600 BC, there have been 14,531 declared wars. Only 292 years of peace in 5,600 plus years. That's 2.6 wars per year. That's 36 hours of peace per month. That's 200 and, excuse me, that's, that's one minute of peace every four hours. This world doesn't know peace. This world knows war. This world thinks it knows war. But when God grants permission for the henchman of hatred, horseman of horse number two, when he lets him unleash the wrath on this earth, this has nothing on that war. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You may or may not know this, but we can blow up our world. We have the capability. We're brilliant, okay? We can blow up our world, okay? Now, let me tell you what that looks like. At the end of World War II, um, America wanted to get Japan to cease in its attacks. They wouldn't listen. So they dropped two atomic bombs, one on Hiroshima and the other on Nagasaki. Those bombs were enormous, man. They were called the Little Boy, I think is what they named them. And and they were devastating. 200,000 people died in those two bombs alone. 100,000? died on impact. The other 100,000 died over subsequent months because of the effects, the damaging effects of these bombs. Now you say, man, that's bad. That's nothing compared to what we have today, compared to what the henchmen of hatred will ultimately bring upon this globe. Today, the center of defense will tell you that the United States has an arsenal of 4000 nuclear warheads. They have another 2000 that are retired. I don't even know what that means. Okay, they're retired uh and they're going to be dismantled, but they're not yet. So we have 4000. In the world, there's nine other countries that we know of who have nuclear capabilities like this. So worldwide, we're aware of over 10,000 of these bombs. And you say, "Man, 10,000 atomic bombs?" No. Atomic bombs are like hand grenades compared to the nuclear warheads that the United States... The only thing good about this lesson right here is the fact that we live in America, okay? Because we got more than anybody else. Russia's next to us, okay? And Trump's trying to be a buddy with Putin, okay? But listen what these weapons will do when this day comes, when hatred and butchery is released upon this world. These atomic bombs are called 50-megaton bombs bombs 50 megatons means each one of them is equivalent to 50 million tons of tnt dynamite each one and we have four thousand of them my goodness that's scary isn't it not yet i want you to understand what that what a bomb like this will do if you detonate a bomb like this people will suffer third degree burns 62 miles in every direction For 450 miles, the windows will be knocked out of the buildings. One of these. One of these. Scary, isn't it? Scary. And the only thing that's holding that back is the hand of the sovereign. And one day it'll be released when God grants such permission. And so a bow with no arrows doesn't play well in this game right here. And so I want you to know that there is a day coming when this world will be a different world. Number three, we see another horseman who shows up in the great apocalypse. Number three is the facilitator of famine. So let's back up a little. If you blow up the surface of this world with nuclear warheads, and you have all of that fallout, okay? there's going to be a famine, right? I mean, the ground is destroyed, the crops are destroyed, the uh, the stockpile is destroyed. And by the way, let me just go ahead and tell you. You don't want to be here when the henchman of hatred shows up. And you don't want to be here when the facilitator of famine shows up. But if you are, you can be right now, you could say, well, I've done my research, Brother Joel. I can buy me a little uh, unit that I can dig a hole and put that under the ground. And I can put away, like, canned food. Rice, you know, know, like it's like a septic tank for the family, okay? So let me just go ahead and tell you, I am not putting anything in my backyard. I'm putting a swimming pool back there, something I can get in and out of. Hello. I am not. I am not putting a tank in my backyard with canned foods in it. For me and my family and those of you from the church, ain't got no place to go, you come knocking, can I get in? Because some of y'all, you last about a week, I'd say, you got to go outside. okay? Right? My wife would probably tell me, you have to go outside. Okay? Now, you can do that. You can build your little hut, a fortress in the backyard. Or you can fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ and know that when chapter 4, verse 1 comes up and he says, come up here in the great Harpazo, you don't have to experience this. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you should consider where your soul is today before King Jesus. I had to throw that in. I digress. All right, the facilitator of famine. The facilitator of famine now, he's going to show up wearing black. He's on a black horse. And and black represents famine and economic collapse. And so here's what he says in chapter in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, Then when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature now say, Come. So I looked, and here came this black horse. And the one who rode it had a balance, a scale in his hand. And then I heard something like a voice from a, among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's pay, and three quarts of barley for a day's pay. But do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, now what's he talking about? He, he's talking about famine and economic Collapse. He's talking a day coming when you work for a denarius, which is one day's wages. You work all day, listen, for rations. That's what that word is. A, a, a soldier's ration for one meal in wheat will cost you a day's earning. Now, if you're trying to provide for others, family, children that are here, then you get... You cash in your one day's wages for barley instead of wheat, which is what they would feed animals. But you can survive on it. That's the calamity that's coming on this world. I want you to know we're, we're one step away from that. Look at the population that walks around on this planet today. It is absolutely insane. And how did we get here? I want you to listen what God does, how he's got his thing, his agenda unfolding. It took from zero the first day that we recorded mankind's history in terms of numerology until 1850 before we ever accumulated one billion people. And then from 1850 to 1930, we gained to two. And then from 1930 to 1960, we went to three. 1960 to 1975, we went to four. 1975 to 1987, we went to five billion people. 1988 to 1999, we went to six billion people. Today, there's seven and a half billion people up on this planet. And this planet can only produce so much. So you can stick your head in the sand and say, well, I just don't think that stuff's ever gonna happen. I'm telling you. God has spoken it, and therefore it will happen. And so now, after, after peace, false peace, after bloodshed and war and calamity, we have famine, which leads us to our fourth and final horseman of the apocalypse. The fourth and final horseman of the apocalypse. He's wearing pale green. I call him the, 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 easy for me to say, the deliverer of death. He's wearing pale green. In the Greek, the word is chloros. We get chlorophyll. We get chlorox. This is who this is. And so I've got a friend of mine representing this day right here, okay, bringing death. And you say, well, now would you, Brother Joel, you already brought an, an assault rifle into the church. Now you got a dead man. Okay, okay. Oops, sorry there, buddy. Uh, So why do I have a skeleton on here? Because when you see the number of people who die upon this planet during this unfurling of seal number four, there's no time to bury these folks. So the animals that are left will destroy their flesh and leave their skeletal remains scattered across this globe. And so that's why he's here. And so I want you to hear what it says in verse 7 of chapter 6. It says, Then when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. So I looked, and here came a pale green horse. And the name of the one who rode it was Death. And Hades followed right behind. And they were given authority. They were given authority. See, God is sovereign. The enemy, the Antichrist, the devil himself, they do nothing that God does not grant. You do nothing that God doesn't grant you the ability to do. You, don't do you, you aren't successful short of God's granting you ability to be successful. You aren't a failure short of God granting you permission to choose to be a failure. He says, authority over a fourth of the earth to kill the population with the sword, war, with famine, starvation with disease the sickness and the outpouring of radiation and all the things that happened during this day and this one i hate the worst and by animals wild animals of the earth i don't even like i don't even like to of that okay so let's talk about it a little bit this horseman is granted permission to bring 25% of the remaining population to death So what does that look like? Well, we talked about population, and we said today 7.5 billion. And so let's just pretend it happened today. Let's say Jesus comes back today, and all of this begins to take place. That's 7.5 billion. Let's say 20% are removed today if Jesus comes back on a cloud. You say 20%. Well, you're not very optimistic. okay? Only 20% are believers? Billy Graham said only half the people in the church are believers. Okay, So yeah, 20%. I got any scripture for that? I've got scripture that points to 20% may be an embellishment. I may, that may be too many. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, 20% may be an exaggeration or an embellishment of how many believers there are in any general population. I think it's probably higher than that in the Bible Belt because you get preached to all the time. It may be lower. You may be preached to so much you've become calloused, and you've just you listened to the uh, imposter telling you that you're okay with God, and in the the meantime, God is saying, you're not okay. You've never surrendered yourself fully and freely to the grace found in Jesus and Him alone. And so I don't know what that number is, but for the sake of these numbers, I'm going to pretend it's 20%. So 20% are gone. That leaves 5.6% billion people on the planet. Now let's say half of those are killed during the red horseman stage when the war breaks out. Half of them, probably more, but we'll say half. That brings us down to 2.8 billion uh, who died, leaving 2.8 billion still here. Now he says 25% of those He's given permission, the pale horsemen, to take 25% of them. That is another 700 million people that he takes off the planet. Now we're down to 2.1 billion people. And this is right before Jesus and the saints return for the battle of Armageddon. Now, it's going to be so bad in that day. Revelation 9, 6 says they will seek death, yet death will flee from them. God says, oh, no you want to die? Oh no, I saved you. I have spared you till this time. So I can pour out a double dose on you. Okay. You will not die until I grant you permission to die. And he says here, and when death shows up, he's got a friend, Hades. So it's like God's saying, when it, when it gets to that point, death shows up for the body, Hades shows up for the soul and they get the full wrath of God's judgment. Now, let me back up a little bit because there's something that I don't really like. And I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to give some consolation to people who may be lost and you reject Jesus. Okay? Um, to be evacuated, terminated, obviated into oblivion by an atomic bomb is really a good way to go. When you consider the option may be that you die at wild animals. Okay? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if I'm standing here right now and Jesus comes, I'm gone. I hope y'all are with me. Okay, I hope this whole room is, is evacuated. I hope there's not one person left in here. Okay, But it happens that fast. The twinkling of an eye, and we're gone. That's the way it is with these bombs, these nuclear warheads. And you are eradicated, obliviated into eternity. Okay, That's really not that bad of a way to go when you consider the alternative may be wild beast. Now, in the Greek, the wild beast can be the Antichrist, and often he is. But also a consideration are simply the words wild beast. And do you know that there's beasts on this planet that you just can't seem to do, get rid of? And one of those might be a cockroach. You know? You know a cockroach? I don't know that they carry any diseases that'll kill you, a slow, miserable death. But I know they'll make you miserable. I remember at Tennessee Tech in the 80s, we had cockroaches everywhere. I remember looking up one night, and one was in my alarm clock, climbing around on the numbers. And I got my raid, and I went over there, and whoosh, I hosed it. You, you can't kill a cockroach. You could give him a good high. Man, he came, out, he came out like this, and by the time he came out, I swept him off in the floor. That would get him every time, okay? But there's these other creatures, rats. Anybody had mice or rats in your house? Most of y'all lying in the church. You know you have a mousetrap sitting in your, can- in your pantry right now because you've been throwing away good bread for six months trying to get that rat, okay? It's just the truth. Okay, yeah, I know you think you're most civilized. You ain't got mice in your house. Yes, you do. Okay, if you don't, I'm praying they'll come to your house this Christmas because the rest of us have had them. Okay, now listen to this. You can't hardly kill them. Research says you can go into a rat infested area, and you can annihilate ninety five percent of all of the rat population. Ninety five percent, and within a year, the population has reproduced itself in full in less than a year. Okay, now these rats—they're nasty. I want to remind you that in the 14th century, there was in Europe there was a plague called the bubonic plague. It wiped out um, it wiped out is it 25 or 25 percent of Europe's population. 25 percent of them died. Listen, it wasn't because they all got bit by rats. It's because they got bit by the fleas that traveled on the backs of the rats. Now, you let me tell you something. When God says, I've had enough of your rebellion, I've had enough of you shaking your puny little fists toward heaven as if you own the universe, I've had enough of you spurning the love and grace that I've extended to you in Jesus upon a cross for all this time, game over. I got something special in store. Now, it says in Matthew 24, if you want to uh, tribulation's not a new thing in the Bible. it doesn't show up in Revelation alone. It appears 60 times in God's word. Jesus talked about this very season in Matthew 24, and one of the things he says in 24, 21 and 22 is that it will be so bad that short of God cutting it all off to save the elect, everybody would die. And so Merry Christmas. I'm glad I had the opportunity to introduce you to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What does it mean? How do we respond? What does a message like this do in our life? When, when you hear of the poser of peace and the henchman of hatred and the facilitator of famine and the deliverer of death, here it is. Born again, harpazoed, raptured, caught, Away believers, the church taken to heaven with Jesus on a cloud, the church that's removed from this earth, we will not experience what you just heard in chapter six of Revelation. Now, you may be here and you say, Well, I just think the church is going to go through tribulation. (laughs) That's fine. You're going to live a miserable life if you worry any about that. I am not worried. I believe that the God of peace. The Prince of Peace, Jesus his Son. The King of Kings, he's my Prince, he's my King, he's my Savior. I believe he's going to save just like he saved my soul when I was 10 years old. I believe he's going to save my body, my life, and my soul before he pours out his wrath upon the ungodly of this world. So right now I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to consider this one question if jesus came back today on a cloud to gather his church to be with him would you travel on that glory cloud to heaven with him or would you be left here to experience the horseman of the apocalypse it is that simple playing no games Not listening to the imposter, simply asking yourself a question. (laughs) Am I a child of God or am I my very own living for now and the future based on my own goodness? I'm going to turn it around. I want to know this. If you're here this morning and you're confident You don't think, you don't pretend, you don't talk yourself into it. You are confident in your salvation in Jesus today that if Jesus came back, you would be with him. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me, I'm going to heaven and I'm confident of it. I know that Jesus lives in my heart. I know that he's my savior. I do not worry about what future unfolds for me because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Thank you and amen. I've never asked a question that way. I like seeing those hands. But I want to ask you another question. If you're here today, maybe you just were uncomfortable for whatever reason putting your hand up. Maybe you've played games for a long time. Maybe you've just simply rejected him for a long time, and today you're just not confident if he came back, if he would include you in the catching away. And you know that today. I want you to raise your hand. Nobody looking around. I want you to raise your hand. I say, "Yeah, that's me." That's me. I'm concerned about myself. I'm concerned Amen, amen, amen. I want you to know God loves you right where you are. You haven't done enough wrong for him not to love you. In fact, he can't love you any more than he does right now. But if you're not a child of God in Jesus Christ, he can't receive you into his heaven outside of the rightness of Jesus. And I want you to know he extends his arm of grace to you in Jesus' name. I want you to know he invites you to be a part of his kingdom. And you simply have to humble yourself and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't do it by myself. I want your gift in my life. Lord Jesus, come into my sinful life. I repent of my sin. Erase them all. Wash me clean. Make me new. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for receiving me today and making me your forever child. And for the rest of us who raised our hands, and man, we are confident in our position with God, I have a simple question for you. Why do you not have a lost person sitting in the seat beside you? Do you not care? Are you unaware of the reality that we don't know when our last day will be. Why do we not share our faith life with a lost world? I want to encourage you, bring your friends to church and let them hear the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. You're so amazing. I thank you, God, that earlier we got to sing to you and about you. We got to celebrate you in song. I thank you, God, that you don't hold anything back. God, you're a God of grace and mercy and peace and love. But, God, you're also a God of of justice and wrath and righteous indignation and penalty. That's what makes you perfect. So, God, what we've read today, for those of us who believe, help us... Help it just remind us that one day you're coming to get us as the church. And you're going to remove us from this world. God, help us celebrate the victory we have in Jesus, your son. But God, help us look around to this world that's lost and that don't know you. And let's get real about sharing your gospel. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.